electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Morgan Brennan at the New York Stock Exchange. Jim Cramer, David Faber have the morning off. Futures are weak, but they're well off the early morning lows as these growth concerns widen on the Delta variant. Apple delays its return to office. Hospital deaths, six-month high. Oil's down seven straight days. Ten-year, about one to four. Our OBAP begins with futures in the red. The Dow's on course to erase most or all of August's gains. Plus, Elon Musk saying Tesla is working on a humanoid robot. We've got those details. And Delta derailed. Companies continue to push their return to the office. And now we're watching China's port problems, which are also deepening because the Delta will discuss that. That is really going to be one of the stories of the morning, Morgan. Earlier in the week, Goldman Sachs cut their GDP forecast Mm -hmm. for the quarter and also raised their PCE uh, inflation number because Delta's weighing on consumers here. And as we know, a single case in China can close a port which is going to hurt our supply chains. And not only a port, but the third largest port in the world. Uh, when we're already seeing some of those supply chain issues, those disruptions from earlier this year, we're coming into, or we, I should say we are in, peak shipping season ahead of holidays, school, back, return to school, back to school, um, et cetera. So perhaps not surprising. Now we'll see what shakes out over the coming weeks and coming months. And, of course, we got Jackson Hole next week. But not surprising, perhaps, to see market strategists starting to bandy about and kick around the word stagflation this week and, and point to it and concerns around it as maybe perhaps part of the reason that we are seeing uh, a sell-off, albeit still pretty minor at this point, but a sell-off in the broader markets. Yep, uh, it's true. Uh, as Joe said earlier, a couple moments ago, worst week in a couple of months, depending on where we get, uh, 43.83, I think, is the worst week a little farther back. But um, we'll be watching inflationary pressures. And then there's always the problem is we don't know what Delta is going to do. We don't know if it's going to no. burn out the way it did in India, the way we think it might be doing in the U.K. J.P. Morgan had a note yesterday saying, you know, the way in which it's acting differently in Israel versus the U.K. versus the E.U., it's not reacting to vaccination patterns, which makes it incredibly hard to predict. Yeah. And then, of course, in a week where we're seeing the authorization of a third booster shot uh, here in the U.S. as well, you have analysts starting to put some numbers around what that's going to mean in terms of much higher than expected sales for companies like Moderna, Pfizer, BioNTech, as well as you begin to see those shots roll out here in the U.S. next month. Dr. Fauci on our air yesterday talking about the fact that manufacturing is underway uh, to distribute vaccines not only here in the U.S., but abroad too. Uh, So there are a lot of swirling factors that are going to be playing out here. And perhaps, again, not surprising to see that it would seem anybody who comes on our air who wants to talk about the markets has sort of a different view or different take on on where we are in this uh, coronavirus pandemic. Uh, Of course, the good news uh, and and the bullish argument would be we're going to vaccinate our way out of this, perhaps. We're doing a million a day, something we haven't done uh, really since the beginning of the year. Fauci was on our air yesterday and talked about uh, the need for further boosters as we watch some of the new that the CDC is potentially delaying uh, review meetings as to whether to recommend additional boosters. Here's what Fauci said. 
you'll have places of employment, particularly big organizations that employ hundreds of thousands of people will be saying, if you want to work for us, you've got to get vaccinated. They were hesitant to do that before because you didn't have the backup of a full approval of the vaccination. So I think we can put a dent in that group of people who are thus far not getting vaccinated. Uh, That's certainly the hope. Uh, We mentioned Apple at the top, though. Uh, They are delaying their return to office into January of next year. Same with Schwab. Uh, Facebook did it a few days ago. Verizon. Uh, IBM is temporarily closing its New York offices. State Street, of course, we know is going to vacate New York uh, completely. There's a good piece in Bloomberg this morning about how the return to office in a lot of financial centers, New York, San Francisco, London, Frankfurt, is, is really having to push back their plans. It's not going to be the fall. Uh, You know, perhaps not surprising, again, going back to all the uncertainty we see out there. And if you have a workforce that's been able to work remotely for the past 18 months, then why not continue that protocol, especially if the risk reward is such that keeping people home and and I know there's arguments about where you're more productive, but keeping people home and working versus maybe having to shut down an office if somebody comes in with a positive case and all the costs associated with that. It makes sense, right? Now, if your office is a factory floor, I think it's been a very different situation straight through this pandemic. And even there, interestingly enough, many of those factory floors are not necessarily mandating vaccines, although they're pushing hard for them. Again, it goes back to, we talked about it a little bit last week, whether your workforce is unionized or not and what that looks like, which is something we've seen play out in schools as we get ready for schools to reopen, too. Uh, Absolutely. It's already happening in Texas. By the way, uh, we heard from Ford this week, closing Kansas City for a little bit. Yes. Uh, Toyota, obviously, their announcement yesterday. IHS Market has a report out. The chip shortage will cut global auto production by, what do you think, Seven. Seven million cars this year, and it's going to continue to hobble the industry into next year as getting chips out of Malaysia, in the case of Ford, is is very difficult right now. It's incredible. I I have an old, kind of beat up, more than 100,000 miles car that we bought for $3,000 five years ago. We just resold it for more than that which sort of speaks to this dynamic in the market, right? Uh, At least for used cars and vehicles. Um, And we can talk about how transitory that is. And certainly the Fed chair has come out and said that. And we've heard that from other officials uh, amidst all the talk of taper and what that timeline is going to look like as we have seen more more Fed speak. And, of course, the minutes this week uh, signaling this ramp up towards that process. Um, But just how transitory is it really going to be, especially when you do have somebody like Pat Gelsinger coming on our air yesterday and saying, hey, chip shortage collapsed until 2023. Uh, Yeah, and Cisco, too, um, into the second half of their fiscal year. So we're trying to digest all of that. For more on the markets, let's bring in David Spiga, president and CIO at Guidestone Capital Management. David, happy Friday. Good to see you. Good to see you, Carl. Thank you. Let's zero in on what Morgan just mentioned, and that is uh, Fed guidance. Uh, There's been more and more discussion that maybe it's not Jackson Hole after all. And what would be the harm in having Powell say, you know what, this Delta thing is... Uh, affecting behavior. Let's let's wait and we'll, we'll discuss maybe in September. Well, I think the market would respond well to that. I mean, clearly, the last thing the market wants to see is Fed tightening. Now, there's two aspects of that. There's tapering and then there's actually raising interest rates. And obviously, the tapering is going to come first. But I really think that's the last thing the Fed wants to see. So if Powell came out and said, look, this, this Delta variant is creating some serious headwinds for the economy, and that's going to push back the need to start tightening, I think the market would respond well to that and would probably breathe a sigh of relief. Uh, I want, inflation, then, is going to be the question because, obviously, 
Anything related to uh, imports from Asia is going to be affected. Chips and uh, autos are a trouble spot. But you got copper now, iron ore. We've talked a lot about oil today, uh, already down to the low 60s. Um, are we are we in a, is the bigger danger inflation or deflation right now, David? Great question, Carl. I think stagflation may be the biggest risk. But the, the issue you have today is that we're seeing real inflation. Is it transitory? It isn't not. It's kind of hard to call it transitory with some of the data you just cited and what we've seen over the past several months. Uh, but the, uh, the Fed is trying to thread the needle right now. The 10-year yield at 123 is, not, is saying we're not concerned about inflation. The Fed's trying to thread the needle. The markets don't seem that concerned about it. You don't really see the markets pricing in inflationary concerns. They're more worried about growth. And so today, I don't think inflation is the biggest risk for the markets. I think the markets want to see continued growth, Delta variant. They want to see the reopening trade come back. And I think that's going to be the real key. Inflation is probably a 2022 story, quite honestly, because I think most investors have bought into the transitory rhetoric coming out of the Fed. And so if we get to 2022, we're past Delta. We're seeing growth re- resurging uh, as a result of being past the Delta variant. I think that's when inflation really starts to become a bigger risk for the markets. David, I want to go back to something you just said, and that was, you know, what, what tightening means for the markets. I mean, historically, whenever we've seen the Fed enter tightening cycles, it has not been good for the markets, at least in the near to medium term. Um, But we've had folks on our air who have said, listen, because of that inflation risk out there, it would actually be a positive. The markets would arguably have already priced this in and it would be a positive for the markets to see them at least pulling back on some of those monthly purchases. You don't agree? I do not agree. The market's traded 22 times forward earnings. It's traded 22 times forward earnings because the Fed is extremely easy. If we see the Fed start tightening, that P.E. multiple, which had a huge spike in May of 2020 or sorry, in March of 2020, when the Fed started to cut rates, that P.E. multiple is going to have to adjust lower. So we've got very high earnings expectations. We're looking at 40 percent earnings growth this year, another 10 percent next year. If we get a multiple contraction in the face of that, that is not a good idea. And so I, I really disagree on that. I think the market continues to be very enamored with Fed policy. The, the low rate environment has created the TINA phenomenon, which pushes assets out on the risk curve. And I think as soon as the Fed starts hinting at tightening, the market's going to have to adjust to that, and that will not be positive. Yeah, and certainly can make that argument in terms of what we're seeing in the junk bond market as well, with some, some record offering numbers there this year, too. But David, given this entire conversation then, how does an investor position their portfolios? I think you have to have a very diversified approach. I know that sounds trite, but in this environment, you've got two things working. Are we really going, it's like you said, is it deflation or is it inflation? I think you've got to be prepared for both. So on a slower growth environment, you want to own technology. That has become the best place to be in a slow growth environment. If we're going to rebound, if we're going to get past the Delta variant, and if we're going to see this reopen trade, resurge, you want to own financials, because that's going to mean you're going to see the yield curve steepen, and financials will do very well, particularly banks in that environment. We're going to have to see the yield curve steepen at some point. If we're truly going to have a sustainable economic recovery, that will really favor the financials. Talk about a a barbell (laughs) strategy, David. Hmm. Very hard to read right now, but S&P futures have just gone green. Uh, Maybe it's what you said. David, thanks a lot. Good to see you. David Speaker. Good to see you. Thank you. 
Well, Tesla teasing some big upcoming projects at yesterday's AI event. Our Phil Lebeau has the latest. Phil. Morgan, this uh, demonstration, if you will, last night of some of the technology that Tesla is developing when it comes to artificial intelligence really had two components to it. The first component, the one that impacts full self-driving vehicles and the technology there. Uh, The company outlined a number of steps that it's taking. Neural Nets, Project Dojo, both improving the autonomous drive technology. Remember, Tesla is not full self-driving right now. It's level two autonomy. It's nowhere close to level four or level five. Tesla is also developing a chip for training its artificial intelligence networks. So that was the meat, if you will, of the demonstration last night. And then there was the teaser, which is getting plenty of attention. And basically, this was a recruiting tool. It was Tesla introducing what they're calling the Tesla bot. They are developing a humanoid bot, life-size, basically. It's going to stand at about 5 foot 8 inches. It'll be using full self-driving technology as well as components. Here's Elon Musk talking about why they're building this bot. It's basically going to start with... uh just dealing with uh, work that is uh, boring, repetitive, and dangerous. Um, basically, what is the work that people would least like to do? The Tesla robot is called Optimus, at least right now. It's called Optimus. Uh, they say it's going to be ready next year. I think a lot of people are skeptical that this is going to be ready and, and even in a prototype form next year. But that is what Elon Musk was talking about. And we should point out, guys, while this is getting plenty of attention, that is exactly what Tesla was aiming for at the end of the presentation where they talked about the Tesla robot. I mean, they made it very clear on the stream. Come work at Tesla, Tesla AI. And they're looking for that artificial intelligence Uh, talent. And that's really what this was, a big recruiting pitch last night at the end of the update on artificial intelligence uh, and what they're doing to improve full self-driving technology. You know, it's funny, Phil, because some of the headlines last night were talking about this humanoid robot that would be doing boring jobs. And I was like, boring company that's going to be building tunnels? What's going on? Um, But, uh, I mean, arguably it makes sense, right, given the fact that they do already have that technology. They are already making those components. It's like a hyper-vertically integrated company, just the way its sister company, SpaceX, is as well. I mean, Elon Musk is a builder. He has surrounded himself with builders, whether it's hardware or software. So the idea that this would be a recruiting event more than anything, I think, is pretty notable. And, and they, look, they've done this with their other events as well. And everybody knew this going into this. So that was not a surprise, Morgan. And, and also give them credit. They wanted to grab the conversation. They have done that. Yeah, there are going to be a lot of yeah. people who will look at the guy dancing on stage and they'll be like, what a joke this was. But Elon Musk wanted to send a message to those who are interested in artificial intelligence. Look, we're working on stuff. Will it be ready next year? No. But will it be ready down the road? Will there be other elements down the road? Yes. And to your first point, Morgan, about this humanoid bot doing boring, repetitive tasks, look at Boston Dynamics and look at the progress that they've made with robotics. Now, it's amazing some of the robots that they've had, uh, and they're still developing. But that shows you that this is a slow process. It's not like you can just roll these out into a factory and immediately take Mm -hmm. care of everything. Carl, back to you. No, really quick, Phil. You know, in in markets, they sometimes say, you know, you can give your prediction for stocks, but don't say when. Everyone talks about (laughs) Autonomy Day in 2019 when he promised a million autonomous robo-taxis by 2020. Clearly didn't happen, but it, it hasn't shamed him at all, has it? No, and it won't change him. I mean, that's part of what he does. He is going to throw out 
bold visions, visions that people may scoff at. They will say you're crazy. But as he works towards advancing towards those ultimate goals, whether or not he gets there, they are making progress. And it does reinforce the belief that many have that Tesla is way ahead of the industry when it comes to things like autonomous drive technology. So there is a there is a strategy here from Elon Musk. Which is really the crux of the bull bear case, right? Always has been. Exactly right. Phil, thanks. Uh, Great, great stuff. Uh, Phil LeBeau talking some Tesla today. When we come back, uh, COVID causing some congestion at ports in China. Big ramifications for holiday shopping. We're going to get a check on Beijing. Take a look at futures. They were down on the Dow about 150, uh, about 6 a.m. Eastern time. We've moved into the green on all three. More squawk on the street from the NYC. Continue straight ahead. Every day. Thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. China's port congestion continues to worsen after a single COVID case shut down operations. Our Eunice Yun is live from Beijing with more. Hi, Eunice. Hey, Carl. Well, shipping companies are telling local media that it will likely take up to two weeks to clear the backlog of container ships at Ningbo Port. Uh, they say that they expect that the closed terminal will be partially reopened next Tuesday and be fully operational by September 1st, assuming that there are no more cases there. Now, Beijing's zero-tolerance policy towards COVID might claim the Shanghai airport next. That is what people here are watching. There were two workers confirmed today with the Delta variant. 300 people have been quarantined, and certain residential and hotels have gone into semi-lockdown. They've been designated middle risk, and this all comes as manufacturers not only are trying to ship out goods by boat, but also by plane. Now, the authorities here have also been imposing restrictions on other areas of the economy. The data privacy law just was passed today by lawmakers. This is the personal information protection law. It focuses on protecting user data. It's going to go into effect on November 1st. And now companies are going to be required to collect the minimum amount of data for a service, obtain consent for sensitive information, offer easy opt-out options for consumers, and get government approval 
to transfer data overseas. Now, separate to that, the cyber watchdog today unveiled tighter restrictions for data collection for the car industry as well. And again, requiring that data is stored locally. And if not, the data, the approval needs to come uh, to transfer data overseas from the cyber watchdog or other government authorities. Now, the concern, of course, is that these new requirements is just going to make it much more difficult for Chinese companies as well as other companies that operate here to be able to expand and make profits uh, because a lot of the companies have been engaging in using those in that, that information in order to personalize services. Now, in addition to data privacy, another big topic here has been the anti-foreign, uh, the anti-sanctions law. Uh, this is what uh, the lawmakers have been discussing, uh, potentially extending that law, uh, which has been passed here in mainland China, to Hong Kong and Macau. But Morgan, interestingly enough, um, that law and the vote on it was actually postponed. No reasons were given as to why, uh, but it could be because there has been a lot of concern in Hong Kong that this uh, could negatively impact the role of Hong Kong as a financial hub. Mm, that would make sense. Uh, just to go back to the data privacy law, Eunice, I mean, I realize TikTok is technically a subsidiary that's housed here in the U.S., but how far-reaching could this law be to, for example, subsidiaries like TikTok? Well, it would be focused mainly on Chinese companies, so here in the mainland. So um, okay. at this point, it wouldn't necessarily extend all the way, yeah, to, to uh, TikTok, but at the same time, um, you know, there's always some concern about the way um, the Chinese government and, and the Chinese companies here, or at least ByteDance, would be able to uh, utilize or get pressure um, uh, for uh, uh, data overseas. Morgan? Unisoon on yet another busy day in terms of news coming out of China. Thank you. And of course, as investors do worry about potential economic slowdown there, too, which is weighed on commodity prices this week. Well, let's take a look at futures with less than eight minutes until the opening bell turning green with major averages poised to open higher. More Squawk on the Street from the New York Stock Exchange straight ahead. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Four days away from that record high on the S&P. Well, obviously, it's been a tough week for the broader indices, but futures a little bit green after some uh, early morning red. Uh, dollar at a nine and a half month high. Oil uh, at seventh straight decline and headed for a six percent weekly drop. You can catch us anytime, anywhere. Listen to and follow the Squawk on the Street Opening Bell podcast, and that opening bell is coming up in four and a half minutes. We're focused on the deflationary forces uh, that are building up in the economy. And I think that's going to be the shocker out there, that uh, deflation is the greater risk now, not inflation. And, and not all deflation is bad. There's really good deflation associated with these technologically enabled 
uh, platforms. The bad deflation is going to be associated with companies who's, uh, who, who paid too much attention to short-term oriented shareholders who wanted their profits now. Fascinating interview with Kathy Wood of uh, ARC yesterday on Tech Check talking about her overall deflationary stance, which sort of feeds into her innovation thesis. And that is you're going to have companies, especially in financial services, Robinhood's a perfect example, that are going to drive costs close to zero. And that's going to be deflationary over time. She's been directionally correct on materials and oil just in the last couple of months. And she actually did move Robinhood by saying she wouldn't mind if they made an acquisition. She could handle the dilution. Yeah, wide-ranging, fascinating interview. I have to say I was a little jealous. And you guys covered a lot. I thought her comments on cryptocurrency and the flight to that as a safe haven and the impact of China was uh, fascinating as well. Uh, obviously not consensus, but Kathy rarely worries about that. There's the opening bell and the CNBC real-time exchange. And the big board, it's financial data company, FactSet celebrating its 25th listing anniversary. We depend on those guys heavily. Thanks for everything you do. With an ASDAQ Technoglass manufacturer of architectural glass and windows. You know, Morgan, uh, for all the worries that we've had to field this week, the taper discussion, China, the Delta variant, the slowing consumer, it's been hard to get too uh, skeptical or worried because corporates have been strong. And once again today, Deer comes out with the beaten yeah. raise, Foot Locker, we were looking for a negative comp. They come out with a positive 6-9. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Deer. Deer, oh dear. I mean, raised the full-year earnings forecast, uh, talked about the robust market conditions and everything they're seeing, for example, in agriculture, which we've had some similar commentary from other executives uh, of companies, I think of Cargill on our air earlier this morning as well, around what we're seeing in that. But the ag sales were up 29 percent, operating profit up 50 percent, construction, which, of course, is going to continue to be in focus, especially with all the infrastructure uh, investments that are either being made or poised to be made, not just here stateside, but in other parts of the world, too. Those were up 38 percent. And the profit there, operating profit there, grew 126 percent. But perhaps most interestingly, this is one of those older names, classic industrial names that's kind of reinventing itself with the whole idea of digitization, precision, agriculture, culture. It's actually one of those names that is in at least one of the ARC funds. I know the Space Fund, which it raised a lot of eyebrows when it was added to that uh, ETF um, earlier this year, just speaking to this idea of investing in the future and where those innovations could potentially have impact be deflationary. Yeah, I mean, farmers have been managing yield using GPS for decades. It but has been the, one of the, the idea least... that deer is going to take it another step is really cool. Yeah. And, and agriculture. And you could say this about construction as well. We've had guests on, um, I think, of Trimble not so long ago who came on. Uh, also another Kathy Wood uh, name that's been invested in uh, that has talked about how undisrupted some of these sectors have been or slow to adopt technology and how big that opportunity now is. So perhaps that'll continue to become a bigger part of the dear narrative, even as the fundamentals seem to support that name. And of course, back to your point, consumers been strong. We've seen it in the retail numbers all week, especially notable. And I think about Macy's yesterday, um, the fact that some of the mall names like a Foot Locker or like a Macy's have been doing pretty good. I mean, People are going back out. They might not be shopping as much online, and we saw that in the retail sales number this week earlier, too, that was weaker than expected. But they certainly seem to be going out and spending. It's just how sustainable is it, and what does that look like coming off of stimulus checks and everything else? Yeah, it's definitely a been split. You see Foot Locker up 11% there on that surprise comp. Uh, Ross Stores, on the other hand, um, the guidance was not so great mm. looking at a, a weak Q3. By the way, we're going to talk to yeah, Foot Locker on closing bell. Uh, but Ross Stores, although a beat, 139 above 98 cents. 
months mm-hmm. and revenue ahead. The outlook not as strong. Ross stores down about 5%. And it's, it is a definite tug of war between, uh, between some of the specialty retailers. But think about what Target said this week about resilient consumers, especially in-store traffic in some areas. Even Macy's saying some areas uh, haven't been really dinged on traffic despite the Delta variant and those concerns that it brings. And fewer discounts. Return to school has been such a big theme. And maybe I'm just more keyed into it with like a kindergartner starting, but it it seems to be a much bigger theme this year with the retailers, at least in in this earnings season. A lot of push there, especially I think given the fact that we've talked about this earlier in the show, there's a lot of question marks about what inventory levels are going to look like depending on the retailer, depending on the company coming into the holiday season too. Yeah. Um, Speaking of all that, uh, Keep your eye on some of the drug names. Regeneron, uh, their antibody cocktail yes. gets approved uh, in the U.K., uh, that one that they've developed with Roche. Um, we'll watch that along with uh, J&J. Alex Gorski uh, stepping down as CEO in January. He'll become executive chair. There's a new company vet uh, named Joaquin Duato who will become the new CEO. Kramer loves to talk about J&J because uh, of their balance sheet, pristine balance sheet, and mm-hmm. they've been hitting record highs. A lot of these names, Microsoft, J&J, the bulls will argue you're not going to get a real correction until those start getting sold in a forced sense, at least on the margin. Mm-hmm. And on a day where Microsoft is actually announcing that it's raising prices for some of its uh, products as well, which again goes back at that whole um, resilient consumer Result, you know, growth versus inflation debate. Um, That's an all-time over, high right there yeah. on Microsoft. There you go. Uh, and, of course, the fact that we have seen it was a, it's been a little bit of a push-pull in recent weeks, but we have seen a piling back into some of these big growth names that are also in some ways, you know, considered safe havens as well, given all the macro uncertainties swirling around the market. I heard you say you wanted to mention defense. I did. Is this through an Afghanistan lens or something else? It is. It is. Um, so, so first I want to pull up a chart of the ITA, uh, which is the Aerospace and Defense ETF. Uh, it's actually set to end the week lower. It's up slightly today, but basically it's been underperforming the broader market this week, which is also or, you know, set, set to not, um, you know, end the week with the strongest of gains here. Um, but it's names like the commercial aerospace and aviation companies that have been selling off perhaps most dramatically this week. Not surprising, given everything we're seeing with the Delta and all the uncertainty there and the fact that on the airline side, where those stocks have also been selling off, um, you've seen some of those warnings around passenger bookings and what that's going to look like into the fall. But the defense names have also been weaker. And so pure play names like Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, uh, General Dynamics, some of the others as well, have also been selling off. We saw a little bit of a bump in those names on Monday with everything that's been going on in Afghanistan, the fact that the Taliban took over so quickly, the fact that we have these rushed, painful, sloppy, at least from what we can tell based on the, on the reporting, you know, um, moves to evacuate tens of thousands of Americans as well as Afghanis um, out of that country right now as quickly as we can. You might might have expected to see some of these defense stocks rally because it speaks to potentially less stability in the region and arguably the world, especially as China and Russia, but particularly China, are now in a position to start swooping in to that country and and offering more aid and sort of speak to the tug of war in in terms of uh, hegemony on the world stage. Um, Roman Schweitzer from Cowan earlier this week, though, did point out that you have the overseas contingency operations out of the 
defense budget proposal, um, but there had been money, about $9 billion that had been set aside, proposed for the upcoming defense budget uh, to pay for the Afghan military and U.S. support. What's going to happen to that money? Uh, Also, arguably, what's the read-through going to be to some of these future funding efforts that are focused on the likes of China? And then, I know they were talking about this in the last show, uh, given the fact that there's a lot of lawmaker consternation and you could argue erosion of goodwill towards the Biden administration in the midst of all of this right now, what it means for some of the spending plans that will happen here at home. So those defense names under pressure right now, longer term, analysts are saying you're going to see demand for intelligence, surveillance and reconnaissance missions. You're going to see demand for unmanned systems, missiles and satellite capabilities. And all of these contractors are going to be the ones that potentially benefit from that. But when and how that materializes is what remains to be seen. Yeah, uh, fascinating. Uh, Boeing, you know, within that, uh, got Boeing to, is down got, big. Yeah, got to two hundred four eighty back on July nineteenth. So we're about ten dollars above that. Um, you've been talking about their challenges uh, on space uh, in the last couple of weeks, having oh to goodness. having to delay some of those launches, and then also uh, the idea that you know we're now doing maybe one point six million passengers through TSA a day, which is not not the two million we were doing for a while there. And it does sort of call into question that bullish argument that you would get enough traffic where uh, and especially return to corporate and international where the carriers would graduate their fleet plans to start thinking about wide body. And that would be the next stair step bullish uh, play for Boeing. It hasn't happened yet. No. And in fact, back to your point, the fact that the stock is down something like nine percent this week, which is a pretty sizable move for this blue chip company, um, you have all the uncertainty around the commercial business, which is the bigger business and tends to be the business that moves this stock. Um, But then on the defense and space side, you have had these issues around the Starliner capsule, which competes with SpaceX under the NASA commercial crew program, uh, with the company coming out finally late last week, about a week ago, and saying, uh, we need to do more work. There's issues with this propulsion system, which is made by Aerojet Rocketdyne, and the launch window is now going to push back months, if not into next year. And in general, it perhaps doesn't bode well for investors that this piece of the portfolio that has essentially buoyed the commercial side is also not necessarily firing on all cylinders. Really quick, uh, Spotify, which has come all the way from almost $400 back in February to the low 200s, uh, announces a buyback of up to a billion dollars. We'll watch that. And on a much lighter note, I know they talked some Viacom uh, Nickelodeon on Squawk this morning. Uh, We're going to watch Paw Patrol this weekend. A lot (laughs) being written about whether or not Nickelodeon and Paramount Plus can start to steal some mindshare away from Disney and Disney Plus. We'll see. I don't know. I have a feeling, and I know my house is probably going to be both. Um, it's, and it gets to the point of, um, you know, how many, how many is enough and what are we willing to pay for, which is a conversation we've been having for years, right? But we'll have to see how some of these brands under the Viacom umbrella now begin to uh, perform and how kids begin to, you know, whether kids start to dictate Yep. The first strings. Yeah. Uh, don't forget the upgrade from Wells uh, earlier yeah. in the week, talking no, about how right. the Paramount Plus numbers have surprised even them. So, uh, despite the week pre-market, Dow's up 50. Let's get to Bob Bassani. Hey, Bob. Good morning, Carl. Morgan, happy Friday, everybody. And uh, all the major indices are up, but it's three to two declining to advancing stocks. Keep an eye on that advanced decline line. It has not looked particularly strong. A lot of technicians, that's among the most important things they watch. Declining. Advanced decline line generally presages lower market activity. That's an old market saw, but just a point there. 
Not bad open, though. Consumer discretionary, tech leading, materials, industrials, banks. These are all your major sectors. Some of the more defensive groups lagging a little bit like consumer staples. But that has not been the trend all throughout the month. So in a lot of ways, this is a very typical August. And in a lot of ways, this is a very odd August. Why is it a typical August? Well, the volume is on the light side. Uh, even on days when there's downside, uh, the volume tends to be flattish. Uh, volatility, you get in mid-August to all the way through September, Random volatility spikes, often on light volumes. They're called air pockets. This is a feature uh, of the summer and the late summer for years and years. The VIX spikes up oddly at different times. Uh, so that's happened. Cyclicals tend to underperform. Defensive stocks tend to outperform. So far, that's largely what has happened. Unfortunately, on, level, on another level, we're getting completely unusual, odd August because of a confluence of really three different factors. First, obviously, the Delta variant is causing the market to reprice the growth outlook. That's causing a lot of confusion in the cyclical sector. China, there's regulatory actions in China. is causing a repricing of the valuations over there. Indeed, a lot of debate about whether how investable China is at all, particularly in the ETF space, a lot of debate over there. And, of course, the Federal Reserve, the market's become very sensitive to the Fed timeline. Uh, they're anticipating, of course, September tapering announcement and then tapering ending in the middle of next year, then a rate hike. But that could change and anything could spike interest rates up. And that would be a real mess for growth stocks. So a lot of risk to the market. The real ultimate risk when you combine these three factors is the risk of lower valuation. 20, 21 times forward earnings, markets pricey. That multiple could easily come down if one of these things, one or particularly all three of them, get particularly uh, worse. As for what we're actually doing in August, this is looking fairly typical, although a little more exaggerated than normal because of the COVID situation. So you get uh, uh, sensitive sectors that are sensitive to the economy, like energy stocks, industrial stocks, material stocks, consumer discretionary stocks have been under some pressure recently. Uh, so a little more exaggerated. Tech tends to be flattish. That's exactly happening. And defensive sectors tend to do better. That is happening, although exaggerated. Healthcare is having a spectacular summer. Uh, uh, consumer staples also are up on the month. So uh, in one sense, uh, very typical, but the numbers are a little more exaggerated. If you want some sense of how the second half might be different than the first half, look at raw stores. Now, they had a very decent number. I don't want to concentrate on their backward-looking comments. I just want to look at the shocking guidance here because the street's kind of scratching its head about this. 61 to 69 is the third quarter guidance. If you don't know where it's at, the consensus was 93. This is pretty amazing lower guidance here. And compared to Q3 2020 and Q2 2019, 2019 is what you want to use. That's the metric, a dollar three. And they're talking about 61 to 69. So the bottom line here is the first half of the year, guys, is very different than the second half of the year. They're basically telegraphing their concerns about the potential impact on, on COVID at this point and lowering the expectations. That's what the street is trying to deal with right now, those lowered expe expectations. Carl, back to you. All right, Bob. Thank you very much, uh, Bob Bassani. After the break, we're going to talk with, about the ongoing chip shortage with former Cypress semi-CEO TJ Rogers. First, though, we'll take a look at the bond report, see how treasuries are faring. Yields, it's been tough to move them around, even with a lot of the data this week from retail sales to industrial production. Uh, Ten-year, right around 124, been pretty steady most of the morning. Got some uh, good action on names like Target and Under Armour, Microsoft all-time high, but Amazon, 3180 is a two-month low. We'll be right back. It is a challenging time, and it will remain a challenging time for every aspect of the semi-industry for at least a year and a half yet. 
That was Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger with us yesterday talking about the chip shortage as the auto industry continues to slash production outlooks. For more, let's bring in former Cypress Semi CEO T.J. Rogers. T.J., thanks for being with us today. Thank you. In terms of these semi-shortages, I mean, we know they continue to roil the auto industry. We've gotten reports that they're starting to affect other industries as, as well. Um, what is your outlook? Do you anticipate that this is a situation that could truly stretch into, say, 2023? Uh, the answer is uh, uh, definitive yes and no. The, the, you know, what you just heard from Intel is for the really high-end chips. So we're talking about chips that uh, 12 nanometers in dimension uh, for a transistor and below. Uh, the fact is, by the end of this year, uh, the rest of the industry will be recovered. And for chips made on uh, 200 millimeter or 8-inch wafers uh, at nodes at 40 nanometers and above, which is almost everything we use, uh, we're going to be back to normal. Uh, the car industry is getting hit uh, for two reasons. One is they use high-end chips uh, like Intel makes. And two is their procurement practices uh, set them up for this, uh, the exception being Toyota. And, and the, uh, I think the triggering mechanism for this interview is Toyota announced that they're going to come up short a couple hundred thousand cars. Uh, the reason being that, that in the dashboard of modern cars, you have a little movie theater. And all those dials that used to be there aren't there anymore. They're pictures. And the chips that paint that dashboard and control the car are high-tech chips uh, of the same type that Intel makes. Intel, I don't believe, makes uh, many automotive chips at all. And those chips are expected to be uh, scarce in through the first half of 2022. So the yes is uh, some automatic, automotive manufacturers are going to be affected through, I think, the middle of 2022. Intel is going to be affected into the beginning of 2023 because Intel has been underperforming. Uh, Mr. Mm. Gelsinger, the new president of Intel, uh, he came in because Intel has uh, had problems, uh, has watched Samsung and TSMC, Asian rivals, pass them by in the really high-end chips. And, yeah, they've got a, 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 a headwind, yeah. uh, their own performance. But this is going to be over uh, uh, by okay. the end of this year for most stuff we buy. So so we have this conversation uh, right now. There's a, a timeline in place, depending on what type of chips we're talking about, uh, to see an easing of the shortages, whether it's this year or next. And yet we have money and policy that is being directed both here in the U.S. Uh, and elsewhere, China, of course, being another key example, towards the creation of more foundries and more capability to produce more chips in the future. What does that do to what's already a very cyclical industry? Well, uh, a couple questions there. Let me take the long-term questions, most important. And, and the fundamental argument, which the SIA uh, talks about, is they're in Washington lobbying for money, Semiconductor Industry Association. I was president of that group back when it was headquartered in Silicon Valley, and you had to be a CEO of a chip company to be on the group. <clears throat> Today, it's in Washington, and it's a lobbying group, and they're, they're uh, oh, I hate to use the word groveling for money and, and give me money because we're behind. The Chinese are putting money to their chips and we'll lose ground to them. It's the standard lobbying argument in Washington. The fact is uh, the, the Chinese semiconductor industry is not very good. Uh, and they've been throwing money at it for years. And the fact is that free and open competition, free markets, mm -hmm. 
are the kind of markets that, that uh, the chip industry thrives in, and government subsidies okay. are, are bad for the chip industry. So I, I, don't, I don't buy that. I, I don't think we ought to be giving money to some of the richest companies in the world. So free and open markets, we have an industry that continues to consolidate and big ticket deals that are continuing to make their way through regulatory approval right now. I mean, Gelsinger, just going back to Intel, uh, voiced his interest in in acquiring something uh, as well with us yesterday. Do you expect that we continue to see more of this type of deal making and that essentially the biggest players get bigger? Yes, that's been the that's been the trend. You know, cars. There are 110 car companies in 1900, and now we got the big the three, two, whatever you want to say, and and one or two big companies offshore. So uh, that's happening in the chip industry, continuing to happen. In this case, I support it. You know, uh, Gelsinger runs a company that is one of the best managed companies in the world, and he's recovering some of the management skills they lost, and they're going to take over. They're talking about taking over global foundries. Uh, that is not a well-run uh, organization, and when they get that capacity, they'll have instant capacity online, well-run, making the right stuff. And that's the kind of move where the semiconductor industry can uh, can mm. fix some of its problems. They've got plenty of money to buy all the fabs they need. That's not the problem. Okay. T.J. Rogers, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Got a little bit of a pop here in equities. Dow's up 114. Uh, a lot of thanks to Mega Cap Tech, as Microsoft is now 301. That's an all-time high. As for the laggards on the week, take a look at this. It's a lot of materials and energy as uh, oil is on pace for an eighth, day, an eighth day down. We're back in a moment. Keep your eye on Bitcoin uh, today. A lot of interesting pieces about uh, crypto. One is just the technical challenges after you've had a run-up of 63%. Uh, good piece this morning on the Fibonacci channels that we're getting between 47K and 48K, what it's going to take to sort of bust above that. Uh, the other good one is a chart out of Bloomberg that Reddit traders are really migrating from meme names into crypto, which kind of fits in with what we heard from Hood uh, on the earnings print this week. Yeah, that's see, that's really interesting. It also kind of goes back to what Kathy Wood was saying on Tech Check yesterday about cryptocurrency as essentially this flight to safety. And we've had that discussion on this air with, with different folks about whether it's digital gold or digital real estate or just, you know, quote unquote, a, a fad, as some of the, I, I think, uh, naysayers would say. Um, also interesting is the fact that Gensler at the SEC has signaled that he might be willing to, with very specific guidelines in place, um, you know, move forward on an ETF, too. So some write-ups on that as well today. Just getting a quick check on the markets. Uh, we are in the green today, um, still poised to end the week mixed for the major averages. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.